everyone. This is Sam. And this is Corrine, and we are two Ankh-Docs. In this week's episode, we'll be focusing on both esophageal and gastroesophageal cancers, and we'll go over important details on the risk factors, diagnosis, and treatment for both localized and metastatic esophageal cancer. Awesome. So this is a very complex topic just based on the anatomy. So Kareen, thank you for starting to tackle this. But as just kind of a PSA while we walk through this, it is very difficult to tease out gastric, so antrogastric versus GE junction and esophageal. So really a lot of the trials lumped these all together. And then in our multidisciplinary tumor boards, we really try to tease them out to decide one direction of treatment versus another direction of treatment. So bear with us, but we're we're going to give you guys a brief overview so you guys can nail those questions on board day. And to start us off, what are presenting system symptoms for esophageal cancers? So patients can present with dysphagia, usually primarily solids, and weight loss, reflux symptoms, epigastric pain, hematemesis, cough, hoarseness. And later on, the vignette could include things like Horner's syndrome or supraclavicular lymph node, known as Virchow's node. Definitely need to know all those symptoms since they will at least give you one or two, especially that progressive dysphagia from solids to liquids. And so how do we distinguish types of esophageal cancers? So as Sam mentioned briefly, anatomic location as well as histology is extremely important to differentiate different types of esophageal cancer. So you may remember all the way back to med school, we have the squamous esophageal cancers, which are usually the upper one third or the cervical esophagus, which is up to the tracheal bifurcation. And these are more radiation sensitive and often are not good surgical candidates due to the location. The lower two third are usually non-squamous and usually these are adenocarcinoma esophageal cancers or GE junction adenocarcinomas where you cross into the top of the gastric cardia. And there's something called the C-word classification to help classify these, which we don't need to know for our boards, but it does help for surgical planning. And if you attend a GI tumor board, you may hear this referred. And this is different from true gastric, which we covered in a previous episode. Exactly. And what are our risk factors for esophageal cancers, both squamous and adeno? So for squamous cancer, we have smoking, alcohol, diets high in nitrates, previous radiation, anatomic abnormalities such as esophageal webs, achalasia, and Zenker's diverticulum. And then for adenocarcinoma, risk factors include obesity, GERD, Barrett's esophagus, which is also known as intestinal metaplasia, which has a 0.5% rate of transformation to cancer per year. And then high-grade dysplasia, which are those stage zero esophageal cancers, which have a transformation rate of 10 to 15% per year. So they definitely need surveillance and sometimes treatment as well. Great. And how is esophageal cancer diagnosed and staged? So an endoscopy with biopsy is needed, a CT of the chest and abdomen with oral and IV contrast. Often a PET is also needed as part of the staging because distant metastases are missed by CT in 10% of cases. And then often an EUS or endoscopic ultrasound is needed for that TNN staging if there's no evidence of M1 disease. And then if the tumor is at or above the carina, you need to do a bronchoscopy to rule out posterior trachea invasion. Awesome. And what are the stages for esophageal cancer, distal or GE junction cancers? 
So T1A are those that invade the lamina propria or the muscularis mucosa. Note that I said muscularis mucosa, not muscularis propria. And these T1As are treated with endomucosal resection or EMR. And this is the same treatment as is done for those stage zero high-grade dysplasias. The T1Bs invade into the submucosa. For these ones, you can't just do EMR, so you do surgery with esophagectomy. And then it's really important to know that those that are locally advanced are those T2 or higher. So T2 invade into the muscle, the muscularis propria, or deeper, including T3, which was into the adventitia, or T4A, which is resectable because it invades into the pleura, pericardium, or diaphragm, um, as well as those with positive lymph nodes. And about 50% of patients fall into this resectable category at time of diagnosis. And this is in contrast to the T4Bs, which are unresectable and are locally advanced into the aorta, vertebral body, or trachea. Or if you have distant lymph nodes in the hilum or abdomen, distal to the celiac axis. And then remember that these non-regional lymph nodes are considered metastatic. I think you said a lot of high points that you do need to be aware of going into boards. The most important are, I think, the T1A criteria and T1B, because these two groups, we can do local therapy alone without systemic therapy. So again, invading into the muscularis mucosa, you can do EMR. If it's T1B going into the submucosa, you can do surgery alone. And then also, I think, noting that non-regional lymph nodes is metastatic disease. Those are three key things that we do need to be aware of walking into boards day, since that does change our management. And what are treatment options for localized esophageal cancer when it's adenocarcinoma? So again, these localized adenocarcinomas are those that are T2 into the muscularis propria up to T4A into only the pleura, pericardium, or diaphragm or local lymph nodes. And these tend to have micrometastatic disease. So often chemo radiation upfront is the preferred category one treatment. There are a few chemo options that can be given with radiation, including paclitaxel, carboplatin, fulfox, or 5-FU cisplatin. But the most commonly used regimen is carboplatin paclitaxel given on a weekly basis with daily radiation for about five to five and a half weeks, followed by surgery. So remember this chemo RT with carbotaxel followed by surgery. And then in some cases of those GE junction adenocarcinomas that resemble gastric, you might remember that perioperative chemo regimen known as FLOT, which includes docetaxel, oxaliplatin, leucovorin, 5-FU, with those four cycles given before and four cycles given after surgery. And then for the ones that are unresectable but localized, so those T4B or positive lymph nodes that are not amenable to surgery, just chemo radiation is given. Again, the usual regimen is carboplatin paclitaxel with radiation. And for supportive care, it's really important to know that a lot of patients end up needing nutritional support in the form of a feeding tube. Absolutely. So I think what you said is extremely important. So the cross trial, that is the carbopaclitaxel radiation, and then also be cognizant that sometimes we do use FLOT if it's thinking more of a gastric GE junction, lower GE junction type of tumor. And then that nutritional support, that's huge. Getting the feedy tube actually placed before you start on treatment, knowing that the radiation locally can actually inflame and sometimes make things feel worse before better. Um, so you got to get ahead of the eight ball on support 
supportive care with feeding tubes so that patients do not lose a significant amount of weight, which they probably already have started to just because of the symptoms from the tumor itself. So what about squamous cell carcinoma and localized disease of the esophagus? So usually these patients are not good surgical candidates because of the location. And so tumors that are above the aortic bifurcation usually are not resectable. And so it's important to know that these squamous cancers, as in other tumor types, are responsive to chemotherapy radiation. So either you do definitive chemoradiation, which is the same chemotherapy regimens as in adenocarcinoma. So usually carbotaxel, and then you also have the option of Fulfox or 5-FU. Or in the cases where maybe surgery is an option, you still give preoperative chemoradiation. And then after chemoradiation, you can do an EGD with biopsy to see if you can avoid surgery. And surgery may be omitted in complete responders. But patients with persistent local tumors after chemoradiation should be encouraged to undergo surgery. Great. And I know we're going to talk about the CROSS trial coming up, but again, it's important to realize that the squamous cell esophageal cancers actually had more benefit of that chemo radiation than the adenocarcinomas, but we still use it in both. And so can you tell us in more detail about the trials that led to the approval of the neoadjuvant chemo radiation in esophageal cancers? Yes. So as you mentioned, Sam, the CROSS trial is what led to the approval of carboplatin paclitaxel given on a weekly basis with daily radiation for those five to five and a half weeks before surgery. And this is preferred over surgery alone. Most patients in this trial had T3, so into the adventitia or node positive disease. And this led to an improved overall survival and was better tolerated than the previous regimen of cisplatin 5-FU. Right. And what about other trials that led to neoadjuvant chemo? So in terms of neoadjuvant chemo, we have the MAGIC trial, which is ECF, which is epirubicin, cisplatin 5-FU, three cycles pre and three cycles post-surgery. Um, and so this is a valid option without radiation. We also have FLOT4, which is preferred over ECF. Um, and then in less fit patients, you can do platinum agents plus five if you like the usual GI regimen of full fox. Awesome. Yeah, I think that magic was getting started when we were in our beginning of our training and then flot just kind of blew it out of the water. Um, so if you have an option of ECF, technically to still correct the boards may be a little bit delayed, but flot is where we go to with, with just chemo. And so how do we pick neoadjuvant chemo versus chemo radiation? So both are valid options, but if there are suspected metastases in adenocarcinoma, most providers will pick chemotherapy alone. And then for squamous, remember that these are always radiation sensitive. So chemo radiation is usually preferred. And then just one note that I wanted to make for any patients that undergo chemo radiation, you need to wait a few months before you repeat an EGD. And so usually three to six months after as part of the surveillance. Exactly. It takes time for the radiation to see the full effects, similar to what we talk about when we talk about radiation for anal cancer or other cancers. Give it some time. What about adjuvant treatment in localized esophageal cancer? So there was another trial that came out in the last few years, which is Checkmate 577 with both adenocarcinoma and squamous esophageal cancers with residual tumor at the time of resection. And there was a benefit for adjuvant nivolumab for one year. Awesome. And what if someone has upfront surgery, but then ends up having a higher stage on that final pathology when everything comes out? 
So as we mentioned, most patients are not going to have surgery upfront unless they have a lower stage, but if for some reason they're upstaged and depending on the type of surgery that was done, there may end up being a role for further treatment. And so the type of dissection that is done may depend on the center. D2 is increasingly accepted in high volume centers. And so those that have a D1 dissection need adjuvant chemo radiation and a D1 dissection is removal of N1 nodes, which are perigastric, cardiac, short gastric, gastroepiploic, and pyloric. And then those that have a D2 dissection need adjuvant chemo. And those are D2 dissections are if you have removal of N1 and N2 nodes, which also includes left gastric, common hepatic, celiac, and splenic. So I don't think you need to know all of these details for the sake of boards, but they might be discussing this in your GI tumor board. Agreed. And so let's keep on going through. And what about if there's locally recurrent disease? How do we treat that? So patients who have previously received chemo radiation and are surgical candidates can be considered for salvage esophagectomy. Great. And to wrap up this episode, let's walk through the different treatments for advanced, non-resectable, or metastatic esophageal cancers. So as in most cancer types, there's usually not a role for radiation or surgery in this setting, but we go for systemic therapy. And remember that those distant lymph nodes distal to the celiac axis are considered metastatic. You absolutely need to remember additional markers to check in metastatic esophageal cancer, which includes HER2, PDL1, and mismatch repair, which is the same as cancer. Absolutely think of Fulfox or 5-FU oxaliplatin as the chemo backbone. And then you can also substitute 5-FU for capecitabine. And then based on HER2 or PDL1 expression, you may add agents that target those. So for metastatic adenocarcinoma, if they're HER2 positive, you're going to add trastuzumab to that 5-FU platinum backbone. And usually oxaliplatin is chosen over cisplatin due to better tolerability. And remember that HER2 positivity are those immunohistochemistry of 2 plus with FISH positive or if immunohistochemistry is 3 plus. And if they're HER2 negative, the category one option is Fulfox plus nivolumab for those that have a CPS score of greater or equal to 5 This is based on the Checkmate 649, which was published in The Lancet in 2021. And the addition of nivolumab to that full Fox backbone led to significant improvements in the overall survival. Um, And then this is now the standard of care. And then in metastatic squamous cell carcinoma, you have a similar regimen, which is 5-FU platinum with nivolumab. And this is based on the Checkmate 648 trial, which was published in New England Journal in 2022. And so this also led to a longer overall survival with the addition of nivolumab compared to chemotherapy alone. Um, And so this is really important to know. And then just know in squamous, there's no role for HER2 testing. Great. And then what about second line or subsequent line options in the metastatic locally advanced setting? What do we use? So if for some reason immunotherapy wasn't given in the first line, it can be considered in the second line setting. Um, One main second line option is paclitaxel ramucirumab. And then if those those that are adenocarcinoma that have HER2 expression can be considered for second line trastuzumab derextican, which you might remember from both our breast and gastric cancer episodes. 
Terrific. And so this is an awesome episode. What are our key takeaways for esophageal GE junction tumors? So remember that squamous esophageal cancer are usually in the upper esophagus and usually are chemo radiation sensitive and will not be good surgical candidates. Remember that adenocarcinoma are usually the lower two thirds of the esophagus. Remember this stage, the T1As that invade the lamina propria or the muscularis mucosa are treated with endomucosal resection, which is the same as those with high-grade dysplasia. Those T1Bs invade the submucosa and EMR alone is not appropriate, so you have to do esophagectomy. Those that are resectable but local are T2 to T4A, and those are treated either with chemoradiation based on the cross-trial with carboplatin, paclitaxel, and radiation followed by surgery. Or in some cases that resemble gastric, you can do that slot perioperative chemo regimen. And then in squamous cancer, you almost always need radiation with chemo. So it's going to be that same cross regimen of carboplatin, paclitaxel with radiation. And then for complete responders, you can avoid surgery. And then for metastatic esophageal cancer, you're almost always going to have a 5-FU platinum, usually oxaloplatin backbone, so full FOX. And then if they have HER2 or or a high CPS score, you can add either trastuzumab or nivolumab. Great. So as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Good luck with your board studying. If you guys are studying for this year, it is July. And so you guys need to kind of ramp up the studying gears. And so please feel free to reach out to us with any corrections or comments on our Instagram or our Twitter, 2OnkDocs. And if you're enjoying these episodes, please feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Have a great week.